this is Keep It Spicy. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Keep It Spicy. I'm here with my lovely wife and my co-host, Vita. Hi, everybody. I'm here with my girl, Shoba. And this week, we'll be covering a very sensitive topic that is racism against Black lives. Of note, me and Shoba are South Indian, so we cannot possibly understand the pain of Black people in regards to their history or daily life struggles. We want you guys to know that we're here not to appropriate their voices, but rather amplify them to show you guys a glimpse of their constant and everyday hardships. We'll start by talking about George Floyd's murder and delve into dissecting racism. Okay, so I'm pretty sure a lot of you already know about the uh, George Floyd incident. And if not, we're here to basically tell you a little bit about what happened. I know a lot of our viewers are from North America, and a lot of them are also not from North America. My source is from the New York Times, by the way. So George Floyd um, was a 46 um, year old African American. He was a black man living in Minneapolis, so in Minnesota in the state. And on May 25th, a deli employee actually called 911 on him because he paid or he used a fake $20 bill when buying cigarettes. Things hit the fan and, you know, things escalated and this police officer, this white cop, he basically killed Floyd by kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, so for about nine minutes, while George Floyd the entire time was handcuffed on the ground and also pleading you know, saying that he couldn't breathe and pleading to the police officer that, you know, because he couldn't breathe and he just couldn't feel anything. He was losing um, feeling in his body and stuff. So in the midst of this, uh, two other officers also, you know, further restrained George Floyd. One of the other officers also prevented the public from intervening with, with this entire incident. George Floyd yelled, I can't breathe while, you know, he was fighting for his life and being ignored. And during the last three minutes, Floyd was actually, he had no pulse. So he was just laying there motionless. And the day after Floyd's death, the police department fired all four officers. This is actually extremely upsetting because this is, I think we all know that this is not the first Black life that has been lost. And we have seen this type of incident being repeated time over time over time. And, you know, there there's so many other um, people that have lost their lives to, you know, police brutality, like Oscar Grant, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin, Akai Gurley, Tamir Rice, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, Sandra Bland, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Stephen Clark, Atatiana Jefferson, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. These are just some of the names. And according to the skim, every year nearly a thousand people are shot and killed by the police in the United States, out of which 24% are Black, even though Black Americans make up 13% of the population. And keep in mind also these stats don't even include the number of Black Americans who have died in police custody or to racially charged violence. So these are just a few of the names and they don't even count all these other ways in which Black people have been victimized because of police brutality. George Floyd's murder sparked a lot of protest and it's important to remember that all of this is nothing new and this is basically just the top of the iceberg above the water. When you look underneath, you can see that it all comes down to laws that have been put in place for decades and, you know, that have just been built on this system of injustice uh, towards Black people from like starvation wages, from mass incarceration, you know, long history of police brutality, racist politicians, racist justice system. And George Floyd's murder has just basically highlighted, once again, a U.S. criminal justice and prison system that disproportionately impacts Black Americans, you know, because of the cash bail. By the way, bail is just the amount it has to pay to await trial out of jail. 
And if they show up for all the court hearings, they get their money back. But according to the American Civil Liberties Union, many people who are actually in jail but haven't been sentenced can't even afford it. So an estimated 450,000 people are put in jail every day without having actually been convicted of a crime. All right. Thank you, Shaba, for summarizing all of that and, you know, really giving us reflection on the legal side of this issue. In an attempt to understand the response and reflections of the Black community, we reached out to our friends, specifically our Black friends, and asked them to touch upon questions regarding Floyd issues and the institutional racism that is currently happening. Our friends that we asked were Alexi, Lindsay, David, Isabel, and James. And so we started off by asking them questions about where they're from and, you know, how are they feeling right now after this terrible incident and whether they in their lives have faced racism. And if so, like if they could cite examples of it, if it was small or big, like we want to know. And, you know, like what are other things that people say that like really trigger them during these moments? And we wanted them to talk about like their reaction to George Floyd's death and whether like the protests are happening in their area and you know just get a general sense of their thoughts of the current protesting happening in North America versus like all over the world right now and to also understand their emotional coping mechanisms during these movements and the actions that they have taken to you know actively participate in this situation. Hi my name is Alexi and I'm from Toronto Canada. Honestly I feel really really tired have to post content try to educate people try to educate other black people and still have to answer questions that people message you and try to confront their racism for them I grew up really privileged I didn't really experience a lot of racism when I was a kid it was only when I got a lot older when I realized just how cruel people could be and that my skin color meant something different. I realized there were implications to how I looked, implications that didn't matter whether or not I perpetuated them or didn't. I was always considered a criminal. I was always considered dumb. And I was told usually by professionals, which seems to be where I get a lot of my racist experience from I was told by a dean that I should set my sights lower on universities and that I shouldn't apply to law school because she didn't think I had what it took. I think people are racist against African Americans because we're taught that. The people you grew up with, they don't hate you because of your skin color. I went to an all-white school and when I was in kindergarten, I remember I got fake married to some kid in my kindergarten class and we were best friends and I remember I was telling my mom about it going home I was like I'm married da 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 and she's looking at five-year-old me and she's like okay Alexi great and when I went back to school the next day I was telling my kindergarten teacher I was like Miss Bradley I'm married and she's like wow okay who are you married to and I point to this little boy that I'm married to And she's like, okay, so she goes up to him, she's like, wow, um, I'm not gonna say his name, so, boy, I, you're married, I didn't know you married Alexi, he's like, yeah, I went home and I told my mom, but she said, I had to be married to my own kind. Just hearing that, like, is really, really messed up, and I think that a lot of people don't realize, like, that kind of sentiment is taught from such a young age, 
people understand that being darker is inherently bad. And that's something that's taught. So for me, like, I think that racism prevails and it, it is created by us and it's sustained by us as well. Because even within the black community, there's a lot of colorist mentality that you being darker, no one would want to date you, especially as a girl. Or being darker means you're dumber or, you know, you're uglier. It's something we choose to uphold, honestly. And there's, that's, that's the truth of it. We didn't create it, but we choose to uphold it. And that really, really gets to me is when people say, oh, I don't understand why you're so upset. You didn't die. And I think people don't really understand, like, how it hurts. It's like, yes, we're crying for that man. We're crying for his family who lost him, who have to relive his very public execution every day. Like, that was somebody's son. That's somebody's um, father. Or that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's mother. You know, it, yeah, I'm sad about that. And that does affect me. It hurts. But what I'm more sad about, what you're not seeing other than somebody you don't know who got killed, is that the reason he died is beyond anything he could control. And that's what makes us angry. That's what hurts us. You're saying, like, well, inherently he deserved to die. And by you saying, like, oh, I don't understand why you care, it's because you don't care that he died because he's black. No matter how far we go, people value other movements over our lives, over us living, us having rights. It, it hurts. It hurts a lot. George Floyd's death sounds so familiar because it's the same thing Eric Garner said when he died. For someone to get killed the exact same way. I thought that really hurt, and I also really hated that they were circulating his video like this. It really upset me that his daughter knows that millions of people saw her dad die in such an inhumane way. I don't, I don't like the fact that we circulate those videos. I know other black people also comment about it, saying like, do not promote the pornification of brutalized black bodies, and I agree. But um, somebody also told me that these videos are also important and that they help get people on board who know any people of color personally don't really understand what's happening. For them, that's their first experience seeing these videos. That is important, but his death hurt. This materialized in the time of COVID too. We all felt like a death on our door. We're more attached to our mortality. So then when we watched Floyd die in during a pandemic, but for circumstances that were easily preventable and were not due to the pandemic, it really hurt. We chant and we walk peacefully. We peacefully demonstrate. So it's really upsetting that they're trying to incite violence at these protests and then these protests and damages that happen during these protests are now attributed again to black people. There's times where I'm super proud because I see a lot of like my black friends pro protesting, posting. I see my non-black allies posting like crazy, asking how I'm doing, getting themselves educated, writing petitions, writing emails, offering to write emails on behalf of like other people who maybe don't have the time. 
it's so wonderful. It's so nice to see like that level of solidarity. Honestly, I haven't seen it before, but I think emotionally also the movement's bringing out a lot of grief. Before we had to go back to work and we had to have these very stupid, like just absolutely insipid conversations with people. Talk about somebody's death, someone's life being ripped out of them as like a talking point at work, like it was the weather. And we'd kind of have to like stomach and bury our emotions. Whereas now we're just really feeling it and it, the pain from all the past times you had to just suck it up and pretend that somebody's death that impacted you is a talking point for your white colleagues. It's no longer that. And I think that's why a lot of us are hurting a lot more this time around. The thing is, when this initially happened, I wasn't going to talk about it. I just wanted to dice, like, to really sit in it, and I didn't want to be on social media. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. It was, it was too much for me. I just, I just couldn't. And finally, I stumbled across my friend Sam, who's one of my coworkers. And like I said, I've only known her for six months. She's a sweetheart. But she was posting aggressively so much stuff. And she's a Caucasian, if that wasn't clear from this. Um, but she was posting so much, offering to write letters, showing people where to get petitions, and just really flooding with all this information. It just felt really, really, really touching. Oh, I don't want to cry, but um, it was really, really touching, and I messaged her, and I was like, you know, I wasn't going to post anything, but after seeing your post, like, for the last two or three days, I really appreciate it. Like, this is more than I could have ever asked. This is more than I've ever seen my close friends doing. You're doing the work, and you made me remember what it's all about. She brought it brought it back to activism like that's why we do this we're not going to let this man die in vain we're not going to have his death televised for hundreds of thousands of people to watch as sport as entertainment to be like oh that's so sad and then move on with their lives we're not going to do that and because of her I started posting aggressively for like a week straight spamming my account with all this information if anyone messaged me I would tell them I would link them sites and it changed so much I talked to my mom I talked to my dad I talked to my like cousins and my friends and, like the people were inspired by what I was posting to do the work oh I'm like sobbing <laughs> and that is priceless and I never thought my voice was that important until now I never thought that anyone would give a fuck what I thought. Excuse my friendship, but really give a fuck what I thought. So many people have messaged me and told me how they've started all these ugly conversations with their managers, with their siblings, and reposted my stuff and asked for like further explanations in like really kind-hearted ways. And I've never... It would have never happened had I not posted. That's... Something I would have never gotten if it wasn't for Sam. Hi, my name is Isabel Clark. I am originally from Savannah, Georgia, but I'm currently based in Toronto. 
how I'm feeling right now is overjoyed, liberated, and immensely proud to be black and immensely happy that I am a part of this movement. I have not in my whole lifetime experienced a lot of racism. I believe Toronto is such a melting pot of different people who come from different backgrounds and different livelihoods that were more accepting of others. However, I'm not going to ignore the fact that racism does exist in Toronto. I just personally have not experienced much of it. And I think in part that's due to me being mixed. I am of a lighter complexion, um, as you can say. And I think colorism is such a big part of the black community. And I feel we just experience different forms of racism and different extents of it. In regards to the current protests happening in North America, I am so happy to see it. I am happy to say that it's happening in all 50 states, which is huge considering how many people um, in certain states have very backwards opinions regarding black lives, regarding how they treat black individuals. So seeing that it's happening all across uh, America, how it's happening in Canada. So protests are happening in Toronto. I know there's a protest. There was a protest last week, and I think they're having one again this week. Um, but I'm actually currently not in Toronto, even though I do normally live in Toronto. I have been quarantined in Ottawa, so I had the chance and the opportunity to attend the protest happening on Parliament Hill on June 5th. And that was honestly such a eye-opening experience that I am so thankful I attended. Um, we listened to a bunch of people speak on what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, how we need to really see change in Canada and that Canada needs to wake up to the fact that there is racism and it's not just something happening in America. One of the most pivotal parts of the protests was when we were told to kneel for 8 minutes and 43 seconds, which is the same amount of time that um, the police officer was kneeling on George Floyd's neck. And that was, like, painful to do. Like, I, it was just painful to do. It was painful to even think about that that was what was going on, that it was that long. Like, it felt long just in silence with a bunch of people around you who were on their knee, like taking a knee, but I couldn't even take a knee for the full eight minutes because it was hurting, like literally hurting my knee. And I just can't imagine the fact that someone had their knee on a person pressed down to the concrete, like for eight minutes and 43 seconds. Like if you just let that sink in and he was screaming, saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And he was calling out for his mother, like I know a post said a grown man calling out for his mother, you know, like, there's no shame in that, but just think of that. Think of you, like, that just blows my mind. One thing that non-black people say um, during moments that are dedicated for African Americans that kind of anger me is when they reiterate that all lives matter. We know that all lives matter. Everyone knows that. We're not disregarding your rights and um, your life because we're thinking about black lives. We're just saying that black lives need to have the same care and support that your life does um, in terms of your rights as a human. Uh, I think 
couple people put this in a really great perspective. I know one person said, so if you were sitting at a table and one person did not receive food and that person said, I'm hungry, and then you say, well, we're all hungry, but you have a plate in front of your face, (laughs) then that just goes to show that someone's already at a disadvantage, you know, and it makes no sense to be like, oh yeah, we're, we're all hungry, but you have a plate in your front of your face, but someone else doesn't. So that's what we're getting at when we say that Black Lives Matter. My initial reaction to George Floyd's death was, I wasn't very surprised that another Black person died. I feel I've become so desensitized to seeing Black individuals dying. I know that's so bad to say, but that's reality that it's not new. And I didn't think that it would blow up to the amount that it has. And I'm really proud that it did. Um, And I'm happy to see that people are finally recognizing that this is an issue. This is a nationwide issue that needs to be handled and not just brushed under the rug. There needs to be something done. So it's made me realize that's important. So some actions I've taken in response to the Black Lives Matter movement is constantly posting information. I post a lot of information on Instagram and some information on Facebook. I tell people where they can donate. I've shared some stories that have happened during the protesting, you know, just to show both sides of protesting in terms of how policemen have been kind of making the looting seem that it was all placed on Black Lives Matter protesters when in reality some of them have been doing the damage themselves to place the blame on them. I've donated, so I've sent some links on where to donate. Um, There's some information I've sent on how to form emails to different congressmen. Um, I'm also a part of a couple clubs in my university, so I've been helping some of my clubs formulate statements on addressing the Black Lives Matter movement, and I'm also in a sorority, so I emailed my sorority on how they can form a statement in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and how I want them to go about making sure, like, about supporting this movement and what I expect from them and all the clubs I'm a part of, you know. Hi, everyone. My name is Lindsay, and I am from New Jersey. I think the best words to describe how I'm feeling right now are drained and exhausted. The the past few months between coronavirus, police brutality, and white people using our blackness against us has been emotionally, physically, and mentally draining. I know that I have had my own sense of privilege, but that doesn't mean that I have not experienced racism. Hear people say, oh, you speak so well. You speak like a white person. Well, what does a white person sound like? There are these ideas associated around black people, like we can't be educated, like we can't have an extensive vocabulary, and we can't articulate our ideas and thoughts that we simply are just uneducated people. It's like, well, you know, I'm educated. I have a bachelor's degree. I am getting my master's degree. I am an educated person. And that is only the beginning. I mean, 
I have experienced everything from being watched in a store or having someone intentionally ignore an idea or a thought that I was proposing, being called an Oreo, have been told I walk or talk or act like a white person. I have been told that I'm pretty for a black girl. I have been told that I'm intimidating. I have been asked mostly by men, why am I angry? These are things that happen every day. And they're so covert and a lot of people don't think they're racist. And they're definitely discriminatory. This kind of stuff occurs because we are not educated properly. This country is built on racism from slavery to the um, to Jim Crow. And now we're we have this system of mass incarceration. And all of these things are oppression of black people. We have these riots going on now and these protests. And that those are the same things that were happening. 30 years ago when my oldest brother was born, when Rodney King died. It's the same thing that happened nearly 50 years ago in the 60s when my dad was a teenager. And it's the same thing that has been happening for hundreds of years. So I know it's difficult for many white people to understand why black people are so angry and it's honestly because we're not treated like we're human the laws that the police are sworn to protect and the communities that they swear to serve are killing our people if people want to be allies the first thing i would recommend to do is to Read, watch documentaries, watch movies, and just educate yourself and speak up. People like George Floyd are dying in the streets at the hand of a police officer who has his knee on his neck for eight minutes since coronavirus started. It was George Floyd, Maude Arbery, and Breonna Taylor that made the headlines. I'm sure there are others. Black people are just exhausted and tired of seeing our daughters, our sons, our sisters, our brothers, our mothers and fathers dying. George Floyd was killed over a non-violent alleged crime. And that is absolutely terrifying. There are protests happening in my area. I think with the deep-rooted history of racism in this country. I absolutely understand not only why people are protesting, but why people are setting fire to things. A lot of people of color are just fed up. And although I absolutely do not condone violence, but I understand the sentiment behind it. You do what you need to do to be heard. I think it's tough to cope right now. Some days I am 
very outspoken. I'm posting on social media. I'm talking about it with friends and all of that. And there's other days like today where I just want to completely disconnect. Sometimes I have to take a step back for my own mental health. I have posted during this time. I've definitely felt conflicted about going out to peacefully protest because in spite of all of this, we are still living in a pandemic. Um, But I have decided that I am going to go protest in my hometown this weekend to implement changes in our hometown. One thing that I am tired of is people telling people of color how they should mourn, how they should feel, how they should protest, how they should act. On people of color try to suggest about how people of color should be handling this situation. It's a little bit offensive because you cannot possibly understand the weight on a black person's shoulders. There have been things that have really moved me and have brought me to tears. Police kneeling in solidarity with protesters. Protesters all around the world standing with us proud at the amount of people that are finally speaking up and are finally realizing that being silent is being complicit. My name is David and I'm from Maryland. I feel conflicted. I'm relieved a bit actually that uh that we're putting so much emphasis on this George Floyd incident that the perpetrators were caught and exposed. Uh, you know, it's it's like another great another African American killed at the hands of the police department. But you know, I've got a good feeling about this one. Have you faced or do you face a lot of racism where you are? Yeah, I would say on paper, yes, but relatively speaking, no. You get the white lady in your neighborhood who thinks she's leader of neighborhood watch. You know, she taps on your window if your car is stopped for more than five minutes. You get those people who hug their children real tight and maneuver around you on the sidewalk. You know, like these little things happen and then people think you're being ridiculous if, God forbid, you use the, the R word. Racist. You call a white person racist and get the same reaction you would get if you called a black person nigger. And I I used to go to UMBC University, Maryland, Baltimore County. I was hanging around the city, Baltimore City, with my friend Nick. We were in his car. It was a pretty sporty looking coupe. Nick, he he was a pretty skinny, real dark skinned dude. Always wore a chain and a and a big ass hoodie that was that was way too big for him. Uh, he was a poor guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I will admit we were we were smoking marijuana earlier in the car that day. We got pretty tired, and we we're like, "Man, let's stop for a second. I don't feel like driving. No one feels like driving." So we fell asleep for a few hours. Woke up to loud tapping on the windows. Freaked the heck out. There were two police cars on the right, two on the left. 
two behind us, one in each of the two entrances to the parking lot. We're like, oh, crap. One of us is going down for murder or something. Tell them to roll down the window. Immediately, they're like, smells like weed. And we're like, why are you here? Why are the eight cars here? No answer. You know, just, just get out of the car. Uh, we got to search your car. Uh, we got to call that the, from this business here. That's all they told us. And so, you know, it, Nick was, was still asking questions. He wasn't going to listen to them until he understood what was going on. So they had four officers just grab him, take him out the car. One was on each of his, one officer was holding each one of his limbs and he was thrashing around. They basically tossed him onto the pavement. My door was locked. The thing was broken. You couldn't open it. So, you know, an officer was yelling at me to open the thing. I'm like, it doesn't open. Told me to climb out. Uh, I climb out and then uh, we're all asking questions and stuff. I reach for my phone when I'm getting out of the car and they're like, show me your hand. Like, uh, okay, show my hands. And I say, but uh, can I get my phone? Eventually, you know, after a bunch of arguing, like five minutes later, one of the officers grabs my phone. Immediately, once I get it in my hand, I just start recording the officer. They never mentioned to us this to us before, but uh, once he sees me recording him, like a minute in, he's like, you got eight minutes left to get someone to pick up your car. We have to tow it. He's, and we're like, whoa, wait a second. I start laughing hysterically, like teasing him, like you never never told us that this is ridiculous whatever he's yeah. like well you should use the first 12 minutes to, uh, to call somebody instead of recording us i'm like man you didn't even tell us that we had 20 minutes to get to find someone to get this to get this car at the end of the day they ended up towing the car uh nick had to put together 300 of his last dollars to get the thing up the impound once once we got to the impound it was about 20 miles away we had to walk all over the city my phone was dead. The charger was left in the car. By the time we get there, the, the impound was closed. You know, we couldn't. We can't get the car out. Uh, I ended up not being able to to call my my boss. So I lost my job that day. It's annoying. You know? it, these things just happen, and, and you have to deal with them. You can't really complain to anyone about them. Also, why are they? taking so long to figure out what to do with these officers that, that murdered George Floyd. I was charged with an assault. It was, the charges ended up getting dropped. It was nothing really, but within the hour I was in jail and I had to pay $500 bond just, just to get out so that I could get these charges dropped. They still haven't done anything with these guys. It's ridiculous. Uh, I can't stand those people who try to instigate riots at these, at these protests, these people protests and stuff. I mean, it's so sneaky because they know that we're better than they're trying to make this look. They know that, which is why they're trying to make the opposite come true. And I don't have any tolerance for that. But also the All Lives Matter movement, um, it, it, it kind of shows the disconnect. Like I see where they come from because I talk to a lot of people from, you know, from Michigan, from Colorado, these overwhelmingly white states, not the cities, not Detroit. It's the attitude that like, you know, the black people around me are, are doing so fine. They're like, obviously, the ones that these things happen to, a lot of times they deserve it. I mean, if he's not guilty, why would he run from the cops? But they can't seem to perceive that it's a different experience being black in America based on past experiences and, and trust levels and things like that. But um, it, it really, a lot of that comes from that, that soft, that exposure, that ignorance. George Floyd's death you know for about 10 seconds I was like you know shake my head but then I'm like this is really the perfect case this is the best case scenario we get a situation where 
no one can say that these officers thought their life was in danger. There is no excuse for this. He, he was just murdered. There's no way to like quantify that these officers are being rougher towards uh, African-Americans, but they are. And now we, we have a way to an inarguable proof. My reaction was a bit hopeful. Uh, these protests are happening in, in the large cities. Yeah, I go to the city, I see a handful of police cars on every single block. And I'll just know, I'll walk the streets a few times and I'll be like, a trench coat right here, he's got his heroin and crap. Um, this whole this whole block right here, we have to avoid it because, you know, this, this is where the Crips are at. You, you see the offices and they're like, man, I'm not risking my life. I'm not getting in the middle of this gang banging crap. Hey, look, there, there, there's a there's a black teenager bumping so loud music. Let's follow him until he loiters or, or steals a bag of chips or smokes some weed or or falls asleep in a parking lot. And there's a right to that frustration, just knowing that they caught you because you are black. Uh, I'm thinking it, it's about time. You look at, at other isolated instances, you look at Trayvon Martin, they kind of just blow over. They just happen and that's that. But this is, this is great. Uh, we're putting a lot of pressure on the authorities, I think. And, you know, people of all different colors, races and, that's great. I'll be happy once once I see change. But you know, you learn in your history class about the three or four times where where these civil rights movements actually end up in a positive change. And I fear that, especially with this Trump administration, this is just one of those many that fall into deaf ears. Uh, my name is James, and I'm in London. I actually didn't even know what was going on for the longest. I think I think I feel confused as to why everyone else feels like this that didn't feel like this before. Personally, I don't think I've really faced a lot of racism in the direct sense. Um, ignorance, yes, but um, and I think it's probably because of the kind of person that I am. Um, and I guess just luck, potentially. Um, but first of all, in the UK, things, there's a lot more overt racism than direct. So it's like micro, microaggressions. Like an example would be, um, I went to like my friends, um, this is when I was younger, like, this kind of pops in my head now. Ask me questions, I'm thinking. Um, went to this guy's house. Me and my friend went to some, like his friend's house. And it was the first time I went to his house. And I remember like his little brother's um, gaming thing. I think it was like a PSP or something like that. This is back in the day. Um, he couldn't find it. Like we were leaving, right? So we're about to leave and Zero Brother was like, oh, like I can't find my PSP, I can't find my PSP. And everyone kind of like in my head straight away, I just thought, damn, like I really hope he finds his PSP because I know everyone's going to think that it was me. And when he said it, the dad kind of looked at me like, uh, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I hope you look. <laughs> but like, I, I didn't actually say I hope you look, but, um, but I just kind of like, I just kind of stood there because I didn't, I didn't even want to look because I felt like if I looked and I found it, it'd be like, oh my goodness, this is convenient. So um, I just kind of stood there and everyone looked while I stood where I was and eventually they found it. I was like, ooh, cute. So it's things like that where it's, it's like, more, it's yeah. more felt than, than blatant. Like I've never, I've never really been able to figure out what exactly causes change. I think protesting is always going to be the one. Like I don't, three, it's not, this isn't, this isn't so, different even though you're always going to be angrier like you become you start being angry at them and being angry at the whole situation as to like 
why do glasses keep breaking? But it's oh, fair enough. Another glass is broken. We also wanted. We also asked them, um, you know, what's something that they're tired about hearing in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. And this is a question that you know we have just not only for in the states, but our other friends that are in Canada and like you know James is in the UK. Also, we wanted to know something that they wish was heard more or talked about more in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and what we can do right now to support the Black community and to support them and things that they had on their mind that they wanted to share. I'm really tired of this passive activism. That stupid black square. At first I thought, you know what, I don't understand why people are so angry about this stupid little black square. It's a, They're just trying to show solidarity. Until I saw the people who posted that square didn't do shit. And now they're talking about NBA season and all these stats. And I, I'm so upset. Like, how are you separating black lives from these black players? You're saying that we're only good for entertainment. And that's really tiring. I want people to understand, like, your voice matters. Step up. Your voice matters. And if you don't think it does, then it never will. I don't think that's a very uh, well-known conversation. But a lot of black women are upset about the Black Lives Matter movement because they usually circle it around black, cis, heterosexual men. And it's really upsetting because you're forgetting trans people of color, trans black people, um, queer black people, you're forgetting women. And women started the Black Lives Matter movement. That's what a lot of people don't remember. To the point that it got co-opted so bad that we had to get a new movement that we also created, but to center it just specifically on black women, which is Say Her Name. And that's something that I wish people would talk about more and I wish people would nail into mostly black men. I wish we could nail this into black men's heads because Black Lives Matter movement is not about you. It's about us. And you need to, no offense, get your shit together. That's the thing. It's called Black Lives Matter, not Black Men Matter. So I think that's something that I wish we talked about more in the movement. And I thought, Reaching out to your friends is very nice. Um, I'm not going to lie, after a while, it's emotionally draining because you're reminding us at a certain level like that we're hurting, that we're still hurting. I think what's better is sending things like, hey, I know this has happened to you. I just wanted to say that I'm with you. I've signed these many petitions. I've like donated or I'm trying to... Um, do this, like, I understand you don't have to answer, like, message me back. I just wanted to say that if it wasn't obvious, I respect you as a person and I respect the fight that you guys are trying to accomplish and it's our fight. And I hope you are taking care of your mental health. I think that's a really good way to go about it and that's about the best way to support your community. What I learned from being black was I was taught that I was considered dumb before I spoke, a thief before I stole, and I was guilty before I ever was innocent, and that I'm inherently ugly and less than because I was black. These things were taught to me. So I was told how to combat it. I was taught anti-racist rhetoric. I was taught how to rise above it. I was taught all these things. 
I think that you have to realize you have to be taught not to hate. That that's important. The same way we're taught about racism, we're trying to teach you what we learned. So there's no reason for you to plug your ears and say this isn't about you. This is the residue that we're in. It's residual from your hate that we're dealing with. And if you don't want to be a part of it, then you have to unlearn it. The one thing I wanted to say is for black people. We don't have to know each other to protect each other. We don't have to know each other to be friends with each other. It's, it's a community. So remember that. Remember that we're a community. Reach out to other black people who are posting. Make sure they're doing okay. If you're exhausted, that's fine. You don't have to post. You have done enough. By existing, you have done enough. You inherently have done enough. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story and my thoughts. I really appreciate it. Something I'm tired about with the Black Lives Matter movement, well, I think everyone on social media is doing amazing work, but I did feel at a point in the last two weeks that it was expected of everyone to be posting, and if you don't post, then you're considered... um, a racist and that you don't care about black lives due to and I don't know I just don't like the fact that I'm not saying it's a bad thing not to donate it's an, it's um not a bad thing to donate it's not a bad thing to post but just making it feel like you have to post about it kind of makes you feel like you're not supporting your community even though people internalize these events differently like some people may just not want to post because they're feeling, they're going through all these emotions and maybe feeling outraged, but don't know how to express it and they don't really want to share on social media. So um, social media can kind of be a black hole with the Black Lives Matter movement, but I obviously see the benefits in posting and I see the the reasons why people don't post. Um, so I just need to remind myself and others who are black that you're not obligated to post. It's nice if you post, it's nice if you donate, but this does not mean you have to do those things. Something I wish I heard more about in regards to Black Lives Matter movement is first of all that Black Lives Matter didn't just pop up now. They've been putting in the work for years. Another thing is that there is good in the protests that are happening. American media and news coverage loves to just show the bad things about the protests, which as you've probably seen on social media, is not always caused by the protesters. Sometimes it is caused by police or it's caused by third parties who come to these protests just to wreak havoc on it. So um, I just wish that the news and the media can stop playing this angle that again shows black people in a bad light, um, shows them as being aggressors and that they're the cause of all this trouble and then they need to be detained and put in handcuffs and there's just such excessive force used against black people. So I think the media should definitely be less biased in showing what's happening at the protests and should really show the good sides of protesting, the peaceful sides. Um, you know, I've seen videos of people dancing at the protests. I've seen videos of people having a really good time and connecting again with um, others after being in quarantine. So I think that needs to be shown about the Black Lives Matter movement. Some things you can do to support me in the Black community is being there for your Black friends, your Black coworkers, 
your black partners, your black family members, and offering them support, lending them an ear if they need. And if they don't um, want to share how they're feeling or how they're internalizing these events, then that's okay too. Be open to allowing them space to digest what's happening as this can be very triggering and traumatizing for some. Other things you can do is donate, as I mentioned before. You can donate to bail funds. You can donate to Black Lives Matter. Um, You can also, if you don't have the resources to make a donation, can watch YouTube live streams. um, And these streams rack in a bunch of ad revenue um, and allow you to help in that way. You can also take this time to educate yourself if you feel you don't know how you can show support or you don't understand the extent of both police brutality and the injustices against Black people um, in North America. I say watch When They See Us or Queen and Slim. Um, There's also a bunch of podcasts you can listen to that are really helpful. There's books you can read that I think can also make some people recognize their white privilege, um, recognize where Black people stand in a predominantly white society. Um, So that's important to really take a look at. And I think these resources and your general willingness to see a change in how Black people are treated um, can really go a long way. One last thing I just want to talk about before I go, and uh, this is just purely my opinion, but I know there's been a lot of things floating around on Instagram in regards to 2020 being such a shit year. And I do agree. (laughs) This year has not gone exactly as I had planned, but I will also say this year is probably going to be one of our biggest growing years. Growing up as a society, um, we've now come closer than ever before. I think we've care about people more than we ever have before, especially given um, the coronavirus and the pandemic and lockdown. We've recognized the importance of being connected to others and keeping those connections while in quarantine. And I think the Black Lives Matter movement just goes to show how quickly people can assemble against such an unjust circumstance and unjust cause. And I think that's really important to see that 2020, yes, (laughs) it's been a shit show, but it has also been such a reawakening of humanity and caring about nature, caring about people, and also caring about ourselves. So I just want to leave you guys with that. Something that I wish other people would hear about the Black Lives Matter movement is that we are not violent definitely wish the news would take the opportunity to educate people, not just about what is happening in that very moment, but explain why it's happening. And I think NPR does a really good job of that. Um, They have a podcast called Code Switch, which I highly recommend that people listen to and it's about race in this country and it talks about things like housing and how police brutality was incorporated in the system you know the war on drugs and all types of things like that i highly recommend that people watch a documentary called the 13th 
and that's produced by Ava DuVernay. And it's very informative. I will say um, it is a little graphic, but it gives a very good explanation as to why Black people feel the way they do and all of the history behind it that has gotten us here and how systemic oppression has evolved since slavery. First steps um, in non-people of color to support our community. I think um, non-people of color should support black businesses, should read or listen or view, you know, art, books, podcasts, movies done by people of color. I think that non-people of color, you know, should, if they believe that justice needs to be served, um, write congressmen, write attorney generals, you know, play your part. I would like to say that I know all cops aren't bad. I know that there are cops that aren't discriminating in racial profiling. Again, I would just like to point out that because they're cops that do and that aren't held accountable, it is destroying the relationship that people of color have with the cops in their community. I am proud of the amount of people that are standing up, the lack of silence that is occurring right now. For the people out there that say all lives matter, yes, all lives matter, but those things are already innately known. The fact that black lives matter is not something that is understood by all people. And we are constantly treated like they don't. And that is why we have to say black lives matter. Black trans people are the most marginalized. And we as a community need to acknowledge that post from friends in the LGBTQ community saying that they need to be acknowledged more, that, you know, sometimes they feel lost in this movement and that we also need to speak up for them a little bit louder. I'm so proud to be a part of this and so proud of you for reaching out and giving Black people a voice um, right now on your platform. So thank you for that. I'm tired of people making assumptions. You know, people turn the TV on for 10 seconds and they go, man, I'm tired of watching these whiny blacks, these sensitive liberal kids. If you don't know anything about these people or their experiences, it, and it's dangerous to, to assume that you do, stop being cynical. I think people need to understand the complexity of these emotions. Our grandparents lived through segregation. Their grandparents lived through sharecropping. I mean, the police organization began as an effort to catch runaway slaves and then uh, getting caught by the po by the police in, in the six, I mean, 60, 70 years ago, not that long ago, we could end up in you getting lynched. I mean, today you can still get what I call legally lynched in the South. You got the death penalty and you could be tried for death 
by an all-white jury. And, you know, there's tons of documentaries about it. People are innocent, put to death for no reason. It's not ancient history. So forgive us for not trusting the system or for being quote-unquote paranoid all the time, for feeling cheated, or being, being scared of the police doesn't make dying our fault. I mean, is it fair to ask us to be professionals that get pulled over when the cops can randomly dish out beatings that they haven't practiced, tasing and spraying mace in random amounts? It's not like they measure it and disproportionately punishing us when we get caught. If you thought that every traffic stop could end up in your imprisonment or your death, would you not panic to rallying for a cause, but be educated? If someone asks why you're there, you should have an answer. Don't show up just to show up or to feel good. This podcast is a great start. Listen, learn, and teach other people things that they may not have come across before. Instead of avoiding your racist granddaddy, you should, you know, try to talk to him. You know, you can't just fight or argue for peace and equality. Try to spread awareness, spread understanding, spread love, and expect nothing in return. Well, when you belong to a minority, you're inevitably going to have to speak on behalf of your people. This is something that I personally have acknowledged, embraced, and prepared for. Nonetheless, I'll never be able to perfectly communicate all the intricacies or anyone else's specific experiences. So the best and rarely the easiest thing to do is to understand that we do not understand and communicate honestly with open ears and open hearts and without the arrogance of judgment or the fear of being judged. Is the all eyes now? That's just like it's just so dumb. <laughs> it's a small indication of a wider problem, right? Where people aren't just unaware; they're intentionally unaware. I can't argue with you because you've made a truthful statement. You're just using your statement as an excuse to maintain the fact that you don't really care. That's probably the most irritating, and yeah. it's a. Um, it's a small example of a much bigger problem. I'm not so much hung up on movements. I think what should be kind of propagated more as opposed to not necessarily the movement, which is like true, because by the way, the movement, the movement is very much based on a on a on on a very normal statement. And it highlights it highlights one particular thing. But to me, that's not even the biggest problem. Um, the problem is very, very, very big. And it's a great place to start in America. Um, but my focus is slightly more worldwide. Support in a genuine way. Not to give yourself a pat on the back type of way where it's like, oh, like I feel good. It's easy to do that. It's very easy to put a state aside. It's very easy to just step out of your house and go to a protest. It's very easy to scream and talk about all this type of stuff. But are you living it? I want people to actually live it. Are you genuinely trying to find out about this? Even within your own community, are you dismantling these problems? Like, are you are you genuinely educating yourself? Are you genuinely educating other people? Is it are you just doing it to be a part of a current movement now? Which is the reason why, like, I'm always quite suspicious about things like movements, right? Because it's easy for everyone to to be under the canopy. So um, now that we have heard all of their perspectives. Um, we would like to like, you know, just reflect on what just jumped out to us. Um, and also like, we really appreciate everyone going into like these, um, 
different stories and really reflecting Mm. on it, you know, like it's very sensitive matter. And the fact that you've, you know, put yourself in a vulnerable position for like a huge audience, we really appreciate that. Uh, Thank you so much. And, you know, it's our honor to like really reflect and like listen back on the things that you said. So, um, yeah. All right. So starting with Alexi, like Shiba, what were your thoughts on her story? Well, Alexi, it's just so heartbreaking to hear all the racism she was subjected to in her like academic life especially because Alexi and I we've had classes together and she I'm not just saying this because she's my friend but she's so brilliant she's such an intelligent girl and when I listen to all of these stories about how people were telling her she couldn't do this she couldn't go to law school or whatever you know that she just wasn't capable and smart enough because she was a black girl it it was it's so heartbreaking because that's not true like she is she's so smart she's so capable she's so driven she's literally all these positive qualities that you would want in your student or just somebody that's pursuing academia and she is all she has all of those qualities and it was just this is so false and it's so sad that somebody and it's also because like when you look at your guidance counselor or like you know all the people that were putting her down these are the people that you're supposed to be looking for towards for support and the fact that these people were putting her down like that it's just it's not right and it's not okay yeah no I completely agree like and that and also like her story about the um, kindergarten wedding I thought it was just so sad you know it's just two kids being playful and then like the next day you see how like children are infected by our society, our parents, and it's just that racism is taught and you can clearly see it in this example. And that's what's fundamentally wrong. Like it it happened, that's okay. Like, you know, we can get over slavery, but we need to like move on. That's what we're not doing. We're like holding on to these racial beliefs and and teaching that to our kids and and that's how it's like infecting our society over and over generations. So I thought that was like very powerful story even though it was like between two kids like it's something that we all need to like really just think about and change about ourselves okay moving on to Isabel's story like what was um what were like your thoughts about her story Isabel hasn't faced as much racism as somebody like Alexi because again Isabel like she acknowledged it as well that she has she is a light-skinned girl um, and so she wouldn't have experienced as much racism as, for example, like her dad. And he's told me himself that, like, you know, when he always gets stopped at the border because mm-hmm. they're on quotes, just, you know, just checking and doing a background check, which is, again, it's 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 <laughs> terrible that people in her family are like are stopped for these types of things. And I love that Isabel was so reflective in her, you know, when she was telling us about the protest that she went to in Ottawa. It was just them all kneeling in silence for nine minutes and how, you know, she couldn't even do it because her legs started hurting her cousin as well. Like, I love how she's reflecting on all these things. But it's also, again, it's just so terrible that this even happened in the first place no I totally agree with like you know it was very interesting to hear her angle on protesting and oftentimes she also mentioned that while covering these um, protests the news and media shows like black people in a bad light and I think that again like shows how our society is just fundamentally like screwed up you know she talks about how like black people are shown as aggressors and they're the cause of trouble and that they need to be detained. These were her exact words. And, um, you know, like it's just, it's insane how like black people are just displayed as bad, even when they're fighting for their own rights, you know? And then like Mm -hmm. her protests were very peaceful, but like sometimes like these peaceful protests don't work. And like, I'm not saying I am for violence, but you know, like, 
they have to do what they have to do to get their basic rights. So, yeah, like the fact that the media um, is showing them as bad is very like unacceptable. And like, you know, media needs to be less biased and really like show the true light of what's happening versus like, you know, making them again seem like they're in the wrong. You know, black people are not in the wrong here. They're just fighting for fundamental rights. Lindsay brings up some interesting things about just being educated and also like educating other black people in when she, you know, when she talks a little bit about it. What what are your thoughts on that? I think she brought up some really good points. I think like for sure education is very important and not just like to educate others, but also like black people as well. Um, And I think that was, it was really powerful in what she said. And then like when she talks about the feelings of anger, I thought that really hit home because she was saying how like this evolution of systemic racism has stemmed from slavery and this has been going on for so long. She quotes that the same thing happened when my older brother was there. The same thing happened when my dad was a teen. The same thing happens for a hundred years. And this just shows how the anger has just been built again and again in them. And like, you know, they're at the point where they just like can't take it anymore. And She says that, like, you know, sometimes it feels like Black people are not treated like humans and the laws that are Mm -hmm. supposed to be protecting them are, like, killing them. So, yeah, like, that that is very sad. It's just, like, been building up. And then also she stepped into this um, subtopic where, like, men have asked her about anger. And, like, Alexi also talked about this where, like, you know, there is this whole um, situation where, like... uh, straight men is where the like straight black men is where the folk focuses on but then there is much more right so like black Mm -hmm. women black women trans black people they all like face different types of racism so I think like yeah it's it's very important and like seeing that these ideas are connecting and like fundamentally all of the Mm -hmm. people that we talk to bring up a common issue I think that's a very interesting point to know so what about David what did you think about his story David very vulnerably shared a little story about his arrest with us and why did it take so long for these police officers to be arrested with Mm -hmm. murder that was caught on camera you know there's a lot of red tape and things take their time but when you hear his story about his arrest and then you think about this you're like why was there any waiting time for people to react before this person was thrown in jail like that really that just brings about a lot of anger and then of course also where he brings where David talks about like how there's you know there's always like that one person that one Caucasian know-it-all always is ready to point a finger at any black person that they see for like the smallest thing like you know even when he was talking about how all of them were in his friend's expensive car and police you know the police officers came to check them when they were sitting in their car it's kind of just like people are so ready to just point a finger caucasians or non-black people that should enjoy can use all these things like a car or like anything you know like Mm -hmm. to do all these like things that we would look at as like normal for anybody that's not black but why is it when a black person does it or uses it or you know, is a, is associated with it. Why is it that's when we're like, oh, hey, wait, something's wrong here. Something's not right. We have to go look at it and we have to find a fault. Like, it's definitely mm-hmm. not, not right. I think that was also a good point that David brought up. It's unfair. Also, with that incident, like, you know, he talks about later how he lost his job. So, like, a racist act, like, has so many effects on them beyond that moment, you know? Like, he has lost his job, so now he has to look for another job, but then it's on his record that, like, you know, he was arrested. It was, I think it was on his record until he got it cleared up. So I think, like, these small acts have, like, such long-lasting impacts on these lives, and we just... 
people just don't realize that, you know, how serious this gets. You know, even James, like, he touched upon, like, microaggressions when he was talking about, like, when he was at his friend's uh, house and, like, the with the PSP being like lost and you know it it was so sad when he said that he hoped like he hopes they find it but he doesn't want to be the one looking for it because in case he's the one that finds it then it looks like he may mm-hmm. have like took it and then like you know like he kind of like set up that whole scenario so like the fact that they have to like think 10 steps ahead and like plan things for them as a non-black person we don't have to think about all this but then like they have to really like look into situations differently and I think that's like completely not fair one of the reasons why we I also decided that you know we should reach out to James is because he's a black person that's not living in North America and this was very important because we want our listeners and everybody to know that racism especially racism against black people it's not happening only in the united states it's not happening only in north america this is some Mm -hmm. global shit that's happening and i think james uh you know like when i asked him how he was feeling he gave me an analogy which is also which is a great analogy but it's also like after he said that to me i remember just being like oh that's so sad where he was like the first time somebody you invite someone to your house or somebody comes to your house and they take your favorite glass and then they break it you're so angered. You're like, oh my gosh, why? Like, that's my favorite glass. Like, why? And then the second time, again, you're angry. But by the time this person has broken, like, the 20th or 30th of your favorite glass, at that point, he didn't want to use the word desensitize. But it's like, yeah, at that point, you're kind of just like, well, this is not the first favorite glass of mine that has been unjustly broken. You know, James also brings up a very good point about Black Lives Matter movement, which is like, yes, mm-hmm. you're posting your black square or whatever, but how how much were you actually, how genuine were you before all of this even happened? And mm-hmm. also how genuine are you going to be, you know, for those of you who weren't as genuine before and now, you know, you've genuinely also taken the time to reflect and, and you know, to make an effort. How genuine, how, how are you going to maintain that energy after as well? You know, mm-hmm. that's also something that's important. That's also something that we all have to think about. Like this momentum has to be maintained. Also ask yourself, like, how genuine is it? And on that note, we also, we're going to leave some links on our Instagram and our social media for you to find some great resources and sign some petitions. And, you know, also, again, put your, for your action behind your word, open your purse and mm-hmm. donate, you know, like not, you know, make all these steps. Like it's, it's not enough just to say something on social media, but like how much, are you actually doing and that too also in your heart how how much of a change how much of a switch how much of a reflection are you making and how genuine is this ask yourself also one more round of thanks to all our participants we know that like these five do not represent the entire and these are also these are their this is their perspective their opinion they do not represent the entire black community Yes. So we really thank you for, you know, being open, vulnerable to sharing with us. And we hope that through hearing these stories, like you have really understood and like gotten a glimpse of like what black people go through, you know. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. And on that note, we're going to end with a quote. And this is by Nelson Mandela. We can change the world and make it a better place. It is in your hands to make the difference. So on that note, remember folks, keep it spicy. Yours truly, XX.